Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I would like for you to join me by taking your Bible out and this turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to uh, be reading just a couple of verses here, a few verses, beginning in verse 35. You know, when you get into the stories of uh, Jesus' day-to-day, it's really hard to just pick a passage because you're like, oh, man, this, but, you know, but I want to include that, and then where do we go from here? And uh, so it's a little difficult to do that, I'm going to try to, to, to blend both worlds uh, today and pay specific attention to this passage, but we also always have to take the con- full context. Um, I also want to say this, if you are a note taker, then today is uh, a prize for you. Uh, there's a lot of uh, notes. If not, uh, let me encourage you, you can write in your Bible too. This is for you, so there's, not a, there's no harm in writing in the margins of your Bible. If something you can go back and remember later, that's fine. I encourage you to do it, actually. And, um, uh, but make sure that you're having, able to find, find a place to have conversations about what you're learning. I have found not only is it important to, to hear, it's important to, to dialogue what God is teaching you, and it's a lot better to apply truth long-term if you're having conversations about it, which is one of the reasons why we like to uh, encourage you to be a part of a connect group or uh, uh, another kind of a, a small group where you can build relationships and, uh, and grow in your faith. Well, so there's a lot of information today, and, and there, there is, uh, not, this doesn't necessarily mean a long sermon. Some of you are judging me way too quick, uh, but <clears throat> so, uh, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's deep, it's rich, it's meaningful. I wasn't here last week. I mean, everything's stacked against you. Uh, I understand, but, uh, but let me encourage you to, to do your best to pay attention all the way through because there is some uh, redundancy that takes place. That, that will add, I believe, a layer of healing to many different facets of our life. So uh, to try, try your best to listen, as I say, sometimes the same thing multiple different ways. Verse 35, on that day, this was a day of Jesus had been teaching all day long. I'm not going to go back and uh, reiterate all of those teachings, but, but Jesus is talking a lot in parables. He's, he's explaining the meanings. He's teaching, and then he's teaching the parable meanings to the disciples. And it is uh, spiritually exhausting for him and, and physically as well. So when the evening came, he said to them, the disciples, let us go over to the other side. So leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. The other boats were with him. Now, sometimes Jesus would say, let's go, and then he would go a different way. Here, they're only saying that Jesus was literally with them and other people following them as well. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? And how is it that you have no faith? 
They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now you'll find this same story in Matthew chapter 8, also in Luke chapter 8, and here in Mark chapter 4. There are quite most of the, of the way through all of the same details of that story. We don't really learn more of the story from one gospel writer than, than the other. But this is the sole account in all of the gospel where Jesus took a nap. It's the only time that Jesus sleeps. Now, it's interesting to know there are many times in Scripture where Jesus uh, is encouraging them to rest. And let's find the place to rest and let's go here to rest. But he's getting distracted and never is able to find rest except in this lone instance. It's not that sleep is unimportant. It's just for those who minister, there's always a need. And sometimes it is elusive at times. But even in the chaos of everyday life, there is always rest in Jesus. And it seems that Jesus, though he's very tired, this is the first thing that I really want you to pay close attention to. Even though he is very tired, he used this nap as an opportunity to teach something that he could not teach if he were awake. It's very important. So, it's important for us to really understand how, how all of this is going to work together. And so uh, for those of you who are here every week, I, I just want to get this deeper into, uh, into our DNA. And if you've never heard me talk about this, then uh, let me introduce you to it just a little bit. So when Jesus saves us, it's, I think that this is maybe the missing ingredient of our true identity in Christ. But when Jesus truly saves us, he saves us at every level that he calls us to be obedient in. And he created us in three levels. He created us spiritually. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 speaks about this very plainly. He creates us spiritually in his image. He creates us emotionally and mentally also in his image, but now fallen because of our flesh is fallen. So we are bodies, we are mind, and we are spirit. And when Adam and Eve took and ate of the fruit in rebellion against God, the spiritual part that they were created in doesn't go away. It is dead. But it's still very much detached, but dead. And so what Jesus comes to do is to show us the loss of that spirit, to show us what it looks like to be able to live in that spirit, and then how that spirit, once it's resurrected by the spirit of the Holy Spirit because of the resurrection of Christ that makes that possible, it now informs our mind and our bodies, and we can live as Jesus lived and do what Jesus did. Now, I'm not saying that we are God by no means. What I am saying is that we sometimes believe some limitations that the Scripture does not give us. So when our bodies are saved, the, the theological term that the Bible uses is the word glorification. This is a future tense process. Let me give you a couple of verses just to back that up. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. I want you to pay very close attention to this. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved? So we've experienced salvation. 
But how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by this life, his life rather. Paul makes a very interesting comment in Romans chapter 13, verse 13, when he says, uh, verse 11 rather, our salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. Talking about a future salvation. The Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14. Paul also speaks of the hope that we have of salvation, speaking of our future bodies being glorified. We don't know what we will look like, but whatever he is, that's what we will be. So we know that there is a future judgment that, we, that our bodies will come under and we will one day be glorified. But that's a, that's a bodily salvation that will happen later and will be purified later. Bible talks about a present salvation. It's called the salvation of our souls, of our minds, of our emotions, of our personalities, of our, of our psyche is actually the Greek word. It's, it's called, in theological terms, and Paul uses it, sanctification. It's the process of being saved day by day. Uh, Paul talks about it, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. He talks about those who are being saved in the process. Paul tells the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So we know that there is a present salvation. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. 1 John 1, 7 says that the blood of Christ cleanses us. This is an ongoing process of renewing the mind day by day, right? This is where we are in the process of becoming more like Christ. But there is also a third salvation, and the third salvation is the salvation of our spirits, the resurrection of the life of Christ in the part of us that is made in his image, and the theological term for that that Paul also uses is justification, Ananias said to Paul, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. This is an immediate salvation. Romans 10, 13, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, by the way, this word will is present tense, will be what? Call upon the name of the Lord, and at that moment you will experience the salvation of your spirits. Paul said to the Corinthians, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul says of God in uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, that it is God who has saved us, already saved. A little earlier in Titus, in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, the grace of God has appeared already having brought salvation to all men. So we know based upon these, and I know that's a whole lot. I don't expect you to remember all of that. Uh, some of you were feverishly writing. If you didn't get it, let me know and we'll fill in the blanks later. But it's very important for us to understand that there is salvation in these three realms of our life. The salvation of our spirits, that's justified. And an easy way to remember that for those of you who've been around for very long, justified is easy. It's an easy word to remember. It's just as if I'd never sinned. 
So when you think about being justified, when you call upon the name of the Lord, you're a new being. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. But God knows that you're still going to have to wrestle with your mind daily. And we're still tethered to this body of sinful flesh for the rest of our earthly existence. One day our bodies will be renewed. We are renewing our mind every day. And praise God, we are saved because our spirits have already been made new. Amen? Beautiful, beautiful. So I say all that to say, when, when you think about all of the, the benefits of God's salvation for us, both inwardly and outwardly and eternally, it's very important that we know how to interpret different passages. about peace, I believe there's a lot of Christians that don't experience peace because we're using the wrong formula in the wrong realm of life. And it doesn't work that way. And it's not a secret. I think, I think Jesus is quite explicit. I think it's very easy for us to understand. For some reason, we just keep making it a lot more difficult than, than it truly is. And I know it's a lot to take in, but it is so important because as we are telling ourselves truths, there are different truths that unlock different barriers in our life that will help us process. And, and so, and if you're anything like me, if you take the wrong truth and apply it in the wrong place, you don't get the same result. And so you feel defeated. And I don't know, you know, how many of you are Christians and, you know, working out that salvation day by day. But I'd say there's most Christians walk in a state of failure and worry and wonder. And it's no wonder that we struggle finding the peace that God promises. So Jesus said in John 14, 27, we've used it many times already, but he said, peace I leave with you. Not the peace that the world gives do I give, but my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be, what? Troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me, he said in verse one of the same chapter. So don't let your hearts be troubled. You see, the remedy this is, this is, I'm going to go ahead and clue you in. This is something I would write down if I were taking notes. The remedy for a peaceless heart is belief in Jesus. And not some belief that he exists, but a trust of his word. An acceptance that goes beyond he's the creator but, but an acknowledgement that I am going to be obediently follow what he teaches. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit or walk by the Spirit. So everything, listen, this does not apply if you're not a Christian. If, you're, if you are not justified by the righteousness of Christ, it doesn't apply because you're, you're forced to live with the wrong tools. You're trying to live a peaceful existence with a fallen body and a fallen mind carnal they they can't function but when the spirit when we live in the spirit we can actually walk in the spirit and the spirit then informs our mind and informs our living our day-to-day 
But if we're not driving everything back to the resurrected spirit, we're going to be constantly looking for peace that can't exist apart from Jesus. So everything must be, every, every circumstance of life, in fact, every thought must be taken captive to Christ. Because that's where we've already experienced salvation. So that's what I want you to see today is this big, uh, I don't, this might be terrible, but this big pot of salvation that's available in abundance, more than you will ever need. This grace is available. So what you want to do in your mind is go back over here and just dip out a big old bunch of that grace, a bunch of that salvation and add it to your mind. And physically and not only emotionally, but physically as well in our bodies. Man, if you need the grace of God, you've got a source that is constantly available for whatever the need may be in every area of life but you got to go back to the spirit and get it it will not be remedied by adjusting your circumstances or getting your way it can't it's not possible and yet that's the muscle memory because that's where we were made to function in these two realities but that's why peace is elusive, because even after we accept Jesus, and our, our, this isn't a salvation issue, you can be a Christian and be miserable. A lot of people live that way. They choose to live that way. But you don't have to. That's the key. You don't have to. We just have to take the two parts that we were born with back to the third part we've been reborn with. That's where peace is. You see, the spirit of man is dead until it's raised by the resurrection of Jesus by believing. And if the spirit isn't resurrected, then the person must spend eternity apart from God. But if a person's spirit is resurrected, then they can enter into that relationship with the spirit and it filters everything else about life. So that's, that's pretty much what I wanted to give you by way of introduction. Now we're going to get back to the meat of Mark chapter 4. Here's what Jesus says to us in many of his teachings, and Paul certainly affirms it as well, and I'm going to affirm it because I have experienced it to the 10th degree, right? And that is, even if your spirit is resurrected, all right? (sighs) Old things have passed away, all things become new, you're a new creation. I'm telling you, your mind will still lie to you. It will lie to you every chance it gets. So even if you're a Christian and you are tempted to say, I'm just going to follow my heart. Well, you better be careful because even if you are a Christian, your heart will still lie to you. It is the muscle memory of the heart. This is why Jesus says you should guard it. He says, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, because by nature, those are the two things that the heart produces. If you will take those two things to the spirit It will reduce the ability of the heart to create trouble and fear, and the heart will actually begin to produce peace, but only after you process through the Spirit. If you believe the lies of the heart, they're going to produce trouble and fear. Now listen, I want you just, and you can identify a certain area of your life if you would like. I I tried to do that as I was working through uh, studying this. But if you believe the lies of the heart, those lies will always produce trouble and fear. So I want you to think about something for a moment. When you are in your everyday life, when you experience trouble and fear, you can take a moment and go back and say, if I'm experiencing trouble and fear, it's because I'm believing a lie somewhere in my life. 
Now, it's just only true if you're a Christian. But I'm believing, well, it's not, that's not true. You can only know what it is if you are a Christian. But you got to go back and say, I'm, a, I'm believing a lie somewhere if my heart is troubled and it's afraid. Trouble is in the physical realm of the body. Fear is in the emotional realm of the mind. So when you are troubled or afraid, it's because you're not resting in the spiritual peace that Jesus gives. You're choosing to trust your old heart, not your new one. So if you think about every time that Jesus shows up, even in the Old Testament, when God shows up and he tells his people, don't be afraid, and they were terrified, don't be afraid. It's because muscle memory forces us to react. But the the spirit that is alive in us now gives us the ability to think again. So much of my Christian life, I have beat myself up because as a Christian, I want peace to be the first thing I experience. I want peace to be muscle memory. Well, here's bad news. Forget it. Just let yourself off the hook. When, when crisis and chaos comes into your life, your muscle memory is probably going to shoot you right toward trouble and fear. Think again. That's the spiritual ability. Before we were a slave and we had to believe trouble and fear. But now we are sons and we don't have to believe the lie of trouble and fear. You see, trouble produces its own issues and fear does as well. A couple of weeks ago, we noticed that one of the things that fear produces is anxiety, and we talked a little bit about how to deal with that. This week, we're going to talk about, and pretty quickly, I might add, uh, that trouble produces chaos in our life. Now, again, I, I am pro- I'm probably preparing you for your future out of mine, because uh, I'm sure none of you have ever experienced chaos. But when you do experience chaos in your life, you will now know how to process trouble and chaos. You ever ever had chaos? You ever experienced a little bit of of that, storms that cause the boat to take on water in your life? How do we bring peace into the chaos that comes from trouble? Uh, and and the, the bad thing about it is, is we think that it's, I don't really want you, to, I, I don't think that I'm communicating well. I feel like it's not coming out right. We, we talk about the things that happen to us as trouble, but, but I want you to understand that trouble, Jesus said that trouble stems from the heart. So if you have trouble, it couldn't possibly be your circumstance because your circumstance is neutral. Your circumstance only gives you the opportunity to discern your heart. You see, in fact, I think I want to pray right now and let's go home. Because that's like the meat. Things can't bring trouble to you. They only reveal what you're believing in. So chaos will... At times surround us. I don't understand why that's a surprise. Jesus promised it. And yet, you know, when we, when we get surprised, we result to uh, revert rather to muscle memory. And, and that always causes us to respond in the flesh. But, but we can be at peace. Jesus teaches we can be at peace even in the midst of crisis. So life with Jesus always brings calmness. Life with Jesus always brings calmness. Now, you can go back and you can look at the disciples. You can see how not calm they were so often. But the truth of the matter is, it was because they were acting in their own heart 
You can also see Jesus in the same scenarios. Always level-headed. Always capable of doing the right thing and bringing the glory to the Father. So, so write this down. We forfeit God's peace when we fail to forfeit our control. We forfeit God's peace when we fail to forfeit our control. Because the disciples kept their focus on the storm instead of the resting Jesus, they forfeited peace in their hearts and their hearts produced trouble and fear. And this particular recipe produced chaos in their life. Their their chaos, they allowed the chaos to cloud their ability to process spiritually. And the same thing happens to us. This is why it's so important for us to drive everything through the spiritual lens. If it's a spiritual issue, then look. If it's a spiritual issue I'm struggling with, then I need to remember that I am already saved. I am already right with God. I am justified. And what matters more than that? Not one thing. I am free to trust Him, and that brings me peace. If it's an emotional or a mental chaos, then I need to recognize that I have a little bit of work to do if I am mentally in chaos. I must get my thinking right. I must learn to believe truth. I must cling to truth. I need to take lies captive to the truth of God's word. And when I do that, I could begin to see the spiritual side and that brings trust and that trust brings peace. If it's a physical issue, and I'm not going to list all the different types of those, but in this case, I need to reprioritize my life. I need to adjust what I'm clinging to. I need to adjust my desire for Christ with my desire for comfort. I need to think about how God could use this physical situation for his glory. I need to remember what's most important, remembering that Jesus is with me. You see, the problem is not that Jesus was asleep in the boat. It was that if, his, if Jesus is asleep... So can I. And that's peace. I don't know if you've ever been on your pillow at night and not be able to get your mind to shut down. Anybody? You just worry, 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 worry about every little thing and chaos comes into your life and you just think, 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 think. You know, and I'm not beating you up. I'm just simply, I mean, you can choose to do that. I obviously do about every night. But if Jesus is asleep in the storm, then surely I can. If your problem is with the physical before it produces chaos in your life, take a moment. Remember Jesus' presence, his care, his rebuke. Remember his sovereignty, his control, his allowance. And if your problem is emotional, remember Jesus' presence, his care, his rebuke. Remember his sovereignty, his control, and his allowance. And if it's spiritual, remember Jesus' presence, his care, his rebuke. And even if he seems to be asleep, he is at work. He's at work even if you think he's asleep at the cushion. Now, he's not going to protect you from storms. He promised that. But he did. He will protect you through them. He won't protect you from them. But he'll protect you through them. The difference between chaos and calm is where you see Jesus in it. But sure is easy to get ramped up though, isn't it? 
This is why it's important that the people that you have in life are really important. You can develop, if you've you got a mob in your life, they'll help you develop mob mentality. They, they, will, they will excite you. They will give you all sorts of good lies to believe. An issue becomes chaos. Chaos becomes fear. Fear becomes lies. Lies create overreaction in the wrong direction. See the note, the escalation here? There's a storm, chaos. They woke Jesus. They rebuked Jesus. They accused Jesus of not caring about them. And Jesus calmly spoke to the storm because of their spiritual immaturity, not because he was doing them some kind of a favor. He spoke to the storm because they were too immature to handle it. Listen, and I think that is very important for us to understand. When you're dealing with difficulty and chaos and you pray for God to calm the storm, you need to realize that if he doesn't calm the storm, it's not because he doesn't care. Sometimes it's because he does. He didn't do it as a favor to strengthen their faith. They, they claimed to have faith. They had just heard him teach all day long about faith. And you know at the end of their teaching that they're talking about, yeah, that's a good point. I like that. And I think, yeah, that was good. I believe that. Lord, even if you go, I'll go. You know how they are. You know how we are. <laughs> They claimed it. Here's what Jesus said. Ah, I think I'm going to take a nap, be unavailable for a few minutes, and I'm going to show them what they really believe. We claim to have it too, but how we respond to the storms prove what we claim to be true or false. They lost their faith in the wind. And it fed fear then, and it does now. It fed lying voices, believing the wrong voices, caused them to act in the wrong way, and their inaccurate minds caused them to respond inaccurately physically. If they had just driven the same circumstances through the Spirit, I think they would have done a lot better. Look, look at what their immature response caused them to forfeit. Jesus had been talking about Seeds all day. He talked about soils, the type, different types of soils that receive the word of God. He creating the right soil. He talked about the, the rocky soil and not allowing Satan to steal the word from us and not having a root. He talked about the thorny soil, not allowing the circumstances to steal the word from us, being distracted. And he talked about allowing the, the word of God to grow and to produce. And then a little later, he taught about having the faith of a mustard seed. And it was super small, but it would outproduce all the rest over time. And then it says that he taught them the interpretations of all of the parables. But now comes the time of testing. They had taken their written test. Now it's time to take the driving test. And it's no accident that they were put to that test. But the truth wasn't being tested. Their hearts is what was being tested. This is why they received the rebuke. They had agreed with their mouths, but not with their hearts, and their hearts had now betrayed them. What they believed to be true in their confession, let me say it this way. What we believe to be true by our confession 
is proven by how we go through a storm. It's not that Jesus didn't care. He did. He does. It, the, the problem was the answer was already there. They just refused to see it. It wasn't that he was angry. He wasn't. He isn't. It's that he continually finds our hearts betraying us. We aren't resting in his spiritual rest that informs our carnal minds, that informs our carnal lives. And instead of accusing Jesus of not caring, we need to rest on the same cushion he's on. In this storm and toward the cross. I want to ask you a question. I'm almost finished. I want to ask you a question. Whose idea was it to get in the boat? Go back up to verse 35 and you'll see. Whose idea? Who is the one who said, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go across to the other side. It was his suggestion. And what did Jesus say? He said, we go to the other side. Was there ever a chance of not getting to the other side? But were they thinking about his word or were they thinking about their storm? If they would have just thought of what Jesus said, they know they're getting to the other side. But they refuse to hear his word. Lord, don't you care? Isn't this the real lack of the issue of lack of peace? I want you to think about a circumstance in your life where you wonder if God cares. And that's where you'll, you'll, you'll struggle with peace. When you are at peace, you won't be thinking about, does God care? When you're most convinced of his care, you'll be at most peace. Is there ever a time that Jesus doesn't care? Should we ever not be at peace? I'm not talking about your circumstances being perfect. I'm talking about asleep at the cushion in the middle of the storm. Think about the chaos in your life, if, if there ever has been any. You'll find that chaos abounds only where you doubt if Jesus cares. If you're sure that he cares, then your trouble and fears will not produce chaos. Your trouble and care will produce peace. If he doesn't care, you need to be afraid. If he does, what is there to fear? The chaos proves what we trust. We don't often question him when things are going our way. We only question him when things are out of our control. But I want to remind you today that even when things are going your way, it's not because you controlled them. <laughs> He's in control of all things, right? He's in control either way. But when there's no storms, there's no danger. When there's no danger, there's no fear. When there's no fear, there's no testing. When there's no testing, there's no learning. If there's no learning, there's no growing. If there's no growing, there's no faith. So where, there's storm, where there are no storms in your life, there's no faith being built, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. I love that, I love that Jesus rebukes the wind, but not the men. He reveals the issue to them, but he doesn't beat them up. He offers them a redo. Let me, let me explain something that's going on here at a little bit of a deeper level than English. So in, in, when Jesus quotes, you know it's Jesus because it's red. Uh, when Jesus says, why are you so afraid? That's the Greek word delios. The Greek word delios means why are you living in timidity? 
Why are you being so careful right now? Why are you so fragile? But after Jesus did the thing they wanted him to do, they were greatly afraid. Phobos, terrified, stricken to paralysis, right? They were afraid and they begged Jesus to do something about it. You don't care. But when Jesus did it, it didn't build their faith. It made them weaker. They get off the boat. Jesus is rested. But they have moved from tired to exhausted without rest. Peace came to the storm. Peace didn't come to them. I think this is the greatest rebuke of all. You go, uh, so if we're, if we're going to be looking at Luke here, uh, the, uh, or Mark rather, the, uh, uh, <laughs> you think Jesus would say, all right, it's time to put your pencils down. Uh, pull back in there. Test is over. You guys need to take a nap. And we'll start all over. <laughs> but they don't. When they get to the, when they get to the shore, there's a demoniac there uh, that meets them that begins a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus begins dealing with this demoniac from Gadarenes. He sends the the demons. You know the story. The demons into the 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 pigs, and they all commit suicide. Uh, you know, that never gets old. That never gets old. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then after that, you know, he's like, I want to go with you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, you need to stay here, tell, tell, tell your story to these people. You've got a great testimony here. And they run Jesus out. And Jesus' and disciples are with him. And then they're, they're, they're walking. And Jairus' servant comes and says, my daughter's about to die. And Jesus, oh, yeah, we'll go. And I know the disciples are like, they're just ragged. You know they're ragged. But there's no ministry here. There's no contribution toward ministry at all. Never even mentions them at all. And, uh, and so the woman with the issue of blood distracts Jesus again. And, and he says, oh, who just touched me? And they're like, oh, come on. There's all kinds of people around here touching you. And so they're still frustrated a little bit. And they're exhausted. They're exhausted. But there's no contribution to any kind of ministry at all from them. And then they, Jesus raises up Jairus' daughter, and then they go and, uh, into Jesus' hometown, and they do, you know, Jesus is teaching, and Jesus is doing miracles, but people aren't believing, and so Jesus is leaving. And no meaningful ministry from the disciples. They're just, they're just hanging out with Jesus, kind of being rebuked, because he had asked them to perform, and they didn't perform well, but now they have watched him minister in the emotional realm, the physical realm, and the spiritual realm. He's given them, an, he's given them another tutorial here. And then when they get back out of Jesus' hometown, he sends them out two by two and he gives them power over diseases, over demons, telling them to lead people to the truth of Jesus Christ. So that's, to me, that's the beautiful part of this story is the gentleness of Jesus who can speak to the winds and to the waves, but also the teacher Jesus who keeps giving us opportunities, who keeps giving us storms so that we can get faith growing in our life so we can learn storms of life are opportunities for us to learn to trust and hit the spirit that is alive in us so i want us to learn that this morning jesus allowed circumstances to build people 
He still does that. They're not necessarily consequences. They're not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, a bad thing. Storms are not necessarily a, a crisis. He still allows circumstances and storms in our life. It isn't that he's unconcerned about our storm. It's that he's modeling what our response should be. Jesus isn't asleep because he's exhausted. Jesus is asleep because he's modeling for us what our lives should look like in the middle of the storm. When the chaos of life tempts you to chaos and fear and lies, you just need to see where Jesus is. Respond the way Jesus responds. Peace, be still. Let me close with Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Paul told the church at Colossae, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. And I want to close just with this statement. When Paul says this, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Let means that you are the responsible one. The peace of Christ is there to rule your hearts. But you have to allow it. You have to let him rule your heart. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're working without tools. If you're trying to, if you're trying to manifest peace in your life or, or, or there's some crisis in your life, but you're, but you're not alive in Christ, you, the, the best you can hope for is the peace that the world gives. And it doesn't last very long. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you've, th- you've thought about maybe, you, but your life keeps proving that your confession isn't worth much, what today, why, why don't you just surrender your life to Christ today? It, wasn't necessar- it won't necessarily take your storm away, but it'll give meaning to it. If you're a Christian and you are wrestling with chaos and trouble in your life, and, and, and some people choose that everything in their life has to be chaotic and troubled. I know that's none of you. But what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us just to say, Lord, help me. Give me a quickened spirit so that I can start sensing anxiety and chaos and trouble that my muscle memory knows is there because I remember trouble and chaos that I can more quickly say, I know that you're at work. I know that I may question if you love me, question if you care, but Lord, I I pray that you'd help me find the rest that you are experiencing right now in this. I want to ask you to stand with me if you would. So I know it's a weird, you know, feeling in the room, maybe. I I don't know. I know there's lots of distractions. It is what it is. It's perfect. Uh, we don't need a we don't need a, uh, an emotional moment to make a rational decision. So what I want us to do is I want us to be able to to just nail it down today. I can tell you that this is the issue of our day: Christians who refuse to live at peace, Christians who refuse to be peacemakers, to be peace givers, because we don't know how. We don't even have it in our own life. So today, I want us just to really wrestle with, with, with allowing God to help us to, to drive our mind and our bodies to live by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, and to be at peace. Peace isn't the, 
removal of chaos. It's the rest in the middle of it. And it's only possible when you recognize the sovereignty, the control, and the work that Jesus is doing when you sense his silence. Take just a moment. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just, as it seems best to you, just pray. If you want to come forward and pray, you're welcome to. If you want somebody to pray with you, there's a whole host of people in here that would love to do that. They were just working toward peace, becoming muscle memory. Just looking, reminding ourselves that we are saved. But when we're, when we're looking for the salvation of our bodies every day and the healing of the body to determine if God loves us, that is just not where that comes from. When we're expecting not to have to wrestle with our mind, if we don't wrestle with our mind, we can't possibly grow into trusting Him more. These things are coming. They're going to keep coming. And he's going to keep giving us opportunities to learn because he's gentle and he's gracious. Don't mistake his rest for his lack of concern. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your care. And we doubt it often because it seems like every time that we experience some chaos or or some, some trouble, it's the worst that it's ever been. And I pray, Lord, that we, those under the sound of my voice, that we will learn today that our proclamations are not what matters most. Our confessions are not what matters. It's what we do. It's what we do when we're knocked off our feet. It's how we respond by faith and the trust that we have in Jesus Christ and his work in our life. And I, and I also know that if we had our choice, we would forfeit growth if you just let it be easy for us through this life. And so that's why we don't have the option. So Lord, you produce in us and through us what you choose. And we know that even even when we question, even when we struggle, you're standing right there calling us towards you. So help us to, help us to recognize more quickly the peace that we have to, to receive and to give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we do love you and we recognize that we're not asking for independence. We do need you. We need you to be near. We need your presence in our everyday life. Even when we don't sense you're near, we need the acknowledgement that you are. We need to remind ourselves of truth. So Lord, help us, teach us truths. <laughs> and oftentimes those truths can only be found in storms. So Lord, have your way. Help us not to be put to open shame. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for putting out to sea with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.